Good evening, everyone, and thank you, Alison. Uh, the incident that we're, we're going to look at tonight as part of our reveal series is really well known. It's the feeding of the, uh, the 5,000. We're all familiar with it. And probably lots of you know that apart from the resurrection, uh, this is the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record the feeding of the 5,000. And so for that reason alone, it must be an important one. But what does this particular incident reveal about Jesus? And therefore, as, as Alison said at the start, what does this particular incident disclose about the Father that enables us to know him better? Uh, well, we're going to stand together right at the start. Sorry, you're up on your feet again. Uh, for the public reading of God's Word. It's Mark chapter 6. Uh, beginning at verse 30. And if you want to grab one of the Red Pew Bibles, it's page 1009. But let's stand together for the public reading of God's Word. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And so he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Grab a seat. Even before you get to the bit that everybody knows, the miraculous bit, there are at least three things that Jesus says and does that are, that are worth noting. The, the story begins there in verse 30 with the disciples returning from, from a missions trip. Six groups of two had completed their first tour of duty. Where if you look at the start of this chapter, it says they went out and they preached to people and they invited people to repent. They drove out demons. They anointed people with oil and they healed the sick. Just, just the usual short-term team stuff. 
But as they, they get together again with Jesus and they start feeding back about how they get on, there's this constant stream of people who keep coming and going. And so they don't even get a chance to eat, never mind do a proper debrief. And Jesus recognizes their need for some time out. Their, their need for refreshment. And so he offers them this life-restoring invitation. And it's an invitation we all still need to hear on a regular basis. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so it says that they head off to a solitary place. This was a pattern and a priority in, in his own life. Jesus would serve and he would minister to people. He, he would spend time with them. He would help in various ways. But Jesus also built in time. He made time to be alone. Alone with his father. And so he, he would get up early if necessary and he, was ma he would make his way to a place of solitude. And that rhythm in the life of Jesus, that rhythm of engagement and then retreat, of activity and then withdrawal, it, it marked his life on earth, certainly the last three years of his life. And so here is Jesus inviting his disciples to do the same. If Jesus needed it, they needed it. And I wonder how many of us need it. I wonder how many of us need to draw aside with Jesus to a quiet place for some solitary refinement. How many of us need to carve out of what are busy, busy schedules to find time to be alone with Jesus? Don't miss this invitation. Maybe even tonight, at the end of the service, you may need to go into the prayer room next door and just take 10 minutes to rest in the presence of Jesus before the start of another week. Come with me, says Jesus, by yourselves and get some rest. But although in this story, that, that was a good idea, the planned rest didn't happen because by the time they arrived at the solitary place, a ton of people had got there before them. Instead of peace and quiet, there was a bunch of people in noise. How would you have reacted? How do you react whenever someone, never mind a whole bunch of someone's, wrecks your plans, upsets your schedule. The disciples must have been so frustrated. They must have been tempted to tell this crowd to just clear off, just go home. We need some downtime. And Jesus has invited us for some downtime with him. But in this moment, we get a further glimpse into the heart of Jesus. You see, his best laid plans had been turned upside down. He wanted to spend time with his friends. He wanted to hear more about their adventures. But as he looked 
at this crowd. His reaction and his response reveals everything. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Two weeks ago, if you were here, it was the compassion of Jesus that hit home as he locked eyes with a a widow in mourning who had just lost her only son. Here, the compassion of Jesus isn't just for an individual, it's for a whole crowd. A crowd of people who he sees as like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they're lost. They're vulnerable, they're at risk, they're wandering, they're not in a good place. And Jesus' heart goes out to them. The Greek word used here for compassion is this one. I have no idea how to pronounce it. I have no doubt Joanne or somebody can tell me afterwards how I'm meant to pronounce this. But do you know what it means? It means to be moved deep within. In fact, it means to be moved as to one's bowels. You see, Jesus didn't just feel sorry for these people. He was affected in his innermost being. This cut him up. This churned him up on the inside to the point where he wanted to help them. He, he wanted to do something for them. And again, as we said two weeks ago, the compassion of Jesus for people reveals the Father heart of God. The Lord is gracious. He is compassionate. He has compassion on all that he has made. God is not a cold, distant, disconnected deity. He's a God who sees individuals He's also a God who sees crowds and he cares. But what does Jesus do? Because compassion, if you were here two weeks ago, compassion is all about love in action. It's an active thing. Compassion's a verb. So what does Jesus do? We'll look at the end of verse 34. So he began teaching them many things. And at one level that might seem strange, even to some a bit disappointing. Yet the teaching of Jesus out of a compassionate heart is surely one of the most incredible gifts that anyone can ever be given or receive. Here is, if you like, pure spiritual food. As we all know, their physical needs will be addressed and they'll be met in a moment. But words from the lips of Jesus, spiritual food from God incarnate, that would have satisfied them like nothing else. I've sometimes wondered, what what were the many things he taught them? What were they? But you know, that's not the issue. The disciple or the apostle Peter will declare on another occasion, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. You see, Jesus has those kind of words. And therefore, to sit under his teaching, as literally thousands of people did that day for who knows how long, to sit under the teaching of Jesus was potentially life-altering, life-giving, life-transforming. It was precious. And for us, and this kind of struck me afresh as I prepared for tonight, you know, that this book, The Living 
word of God that we hold in our hands, that we have access to, that we can read, that we can listen to, that we can sit under is one of the most precious gifts that we possess. Here are God-breathed words of instruction, words of direction, words of hope. Here is our spiritual food. Here is our daily bread. Here are the recorded words of eternal life that illuminate, that construct us, that refine us, that expose us, that heal us. And so before we get to the headline-grabbing miracle, this incident in Mark 6 includes a reminder that the teaching of Jesus, the Word of God, is exactly what people need who are lost without a shepherd. Here is a reminder of one of the most compassionate things that God can ever do for a person. Speak into their life. And it's a reminder that one of the most compassionate things you and I can ever do for anyone is speak God's words into their lives. Share God's word with those around us. And it's why the Bible will and must stay front and central here at Windsor because communicating this is one of the most loving things I can do. It's one of the most loving things we can do as a church. We're all familiar with the feeding of the 5,000, but please don't miss this pre-detail. The first thing that Jesus did for this hungry crowd, as his heart ached within him, was feed them, but not feed them physically. It was feed them spiritually. And we've said it before, and we'll keep coming back, that don't, don't neglect Scripture. Personal reading, corporate engagement. Why? Because none of us live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And here it is to us, here it is for us, and we are vulnerable without it. So three things before we get to the miracle. Seek solitude with Jesus. Sense his compassion. Sit with his teaching. That's maybe all you need to hear. I'm going to end there, but let's move on. Because let's go back to the story, because it seems that this teaching session must have lasted quite a while. Because it says it's late in the day, and, and therefore it's time to eat. But being a remote place, there weren't many options available. And so the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, will you please tell the people to go away and buy a meal for themselves in the surrounding villages. And how Jesus responded to the disciples must have been a shock. You give them something to eat. And the disciples looked around and, and, and it's clear that they did the sums. And as they looked at this crowd of people and as they did the mental arithmetic, they worked out that it would cost over half a year's wages to pick up the tab for this meal. Did Jesus honestly expect them to spend that much even if they had it? And how were they going to bring it back? How were 12 of them going to transport enough food to feed thousands of people? 
And they must have wondered what, what was going on. Although clearly the possibility of the supernatural wasn't on their radar, which in some ways is a little strange because this is the same group of guys who's just returned from a missions trip, who've just driven out demons, who've just healed the sick. And if they can do that on their own without Jesus, yes, in the name of Jesus, but without Jesus, then surely with Jesus, anything's possible, including being able to rustle up a meal to feed hungry people. But that's maybe unfair, and, and Jesus pushes them a little, and he asks them, okay, how many loaves of bread do you have? Mark, in his rendering of the story, doesn't mention anything about a kid in the lunchbox. But they tell Jesus, well, we've got five loaves and a couple of fish. That's it, that's all. And in the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot. I mean, it might feed the 12 of them at a push. And then Jesus instructs them to get busy, to arrange everyone into groups of 50 or 100 and to get them to sit in the grass. And I wonder as they were doing that, and this is just a, a pictorial uh, piece that somebody has done to kind of give you the idea of what was going on, but can you imagine what were the disciples thinking as they go about these thousands of people and say, right, need to get you into groups of 50 and 100. Like, what were the disciples saying? What were the people thinking? But fair play, the disciples do it. They have no clue what's going to happen next. But in obedience to Jesus, the disciples do as he says. And I, I'm sure there's a lesson in that alone, the importance of obeying Jesus, even when it's unclear what's going on. And then the miracle happens. Jesus takes the bread and the fish and he looks to heaven. He looks towards his father and he gives thanks and he breaks the bread and the image of this moment is striking and it's no wonder that many people make connections in this moment to the scene in the upper room where Jesus takes bread and he gives thanks and he breaks it and he hands it out. But back in this remote place, Jesus' hands broken bread and broken fish to his disciples who in turn hand it round groups of people. And the incredible thing is it just keeps coming. It just keeps giving and giving and giving. And in verse 42 it says, they all ate and were satisfied. Twelve basketfuls of broken bread and fish are picked up afterwards and 5,000 men plus women plus kids so at least 15,000 people it's reckoned head home spiritually and physically fed and, and in our text in Mark's gospel the narrative quickly moves on immediately look at verse 45 immediately Jesus has the disciples back in a boat and away but what must the disciples have been thinking about as they leave that place and as they're trying to process what has just happened let me give you a few suggestions maybe maybe nothing is impossible with Jesus no need is too big. No situation is too daunting. No problem is too great. Don't underestimate what Jesus can do 
with the little that you have in your hand over. It seems that a little can become a lot in the hands of Jesus. The ordinary can become the extraordinary. The mundane becomes the miraculous. Is that what they're processing? Maybe it's, although you don't always understand what Jesus is doing, take him at his word. Play your part that he asks you to play. Join in with what he's doing. Or maybe it simply proves and reveals that whenever hungry people come to Jesus, they're fed, they're satisfied, they're fulfilled in body, in mind, in soul, and not just partly satisfied, and not just reasonably fulfilled, but abundantly so. There's more than they can eat. And maybe that in itself shows that there's more available for others who weren't there that day. Twelve basketfuls of more, because you see the compassion of Jesus just keeps extending. And all of that about Jesus reveals more to us of God, more of the true God. Nothing's impossible with God. All that you have is all that you need when it's placed in his hands. God is at work in his world. And he invites us to get busy and join in. And God is the ultimate satisfier and feeder of our souls. But to bring us to a close, and and I hope there's already enough to kind of take away and mull over and chew over further, but as I close, I want to say something about the opening comment and instruction of verse 37 and its relevance to us and it connects with something that Alison prayed and I didn't know she was going to pray about this. You see, some people have a real problem with this story because they wonder why did Jesus miraculously feed 5,000 plus hungry people that day who weren't going to die if they missed one meal? And yet millions of people, including children, starve to death in our world and desperately need a miracle. In yesterday's headlines, as as Alison prayed, United Nations aid chief urges global action as starvation and famine loom for 20 million people across four countries. And the reports yesterday went on to say that the top United Nations humanitarian official is urging the international community to act in order to save people from simply starving to death in Kenya, Yemen, South Sudan, Somalia. And here's the question for some people. Can Jesus not miraculously feed them? Can Jesus not miraculously feed them? And here's the answer. Here's the challenge. You give them something to eat. You see, that day in a remote place, the disciples physically couldn't, and therefore Jesus miraculously did. But here's the sobering reality. We physically can. 
There is enough food to go around. There's enough food to share. And therefore, Jesus shouldn't have to. There's enough disposable resources available in our world to address the shocking issue of world poverty head on. The United Nations have said that it's going to require $4.4 billion by July to prevent famine in those four countries. That's a lot of money. But the reason they're asking for that is because it is available. It can be given if governments and leaders and people are willing to dig deep and respond. And so the words of Jesus, you give them something to eat, relates to us. And therefore, this story should never be used as a criticism for Jesus or of Jesus for only miraculously feeding those thousands that day. That story was about something else. That was about what Jesus was doing in that context at that time in the lives of his disciples and in the lives of those people. But see this instruction? This still resonates. This still applies. This still challenges. Jesus doesn't need to miraculously feed 20 million people in Kenya, Yemen, South Sudan, and Somalia because we the international community physically can. I kind of thought that was important to say that out of that because I realize that a number of areas that a number of people have a problem with this miracle in that sense. But as I bring us to a close, and we're about to sing two pieces as, as we close our service. But what I want to do is invite you to kind of personally respond to this story. And there may be a number of different responses. And, and maybe for you, the thing that you need to hear, the thing that you need to take away is just that invitation of Jesus to come with him by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. Please do that. Please take time to retreat. Whether it's for 10 minutes now, next door, or whether it's a few minutes in a solitary place every day this week, but just come away from your busyness. Spend time with Jesus this week. Maybe for others, it's kind of one of these four realities about Jesus and about God and what this story reveals about Jesus and God that you need to embrace and take on board, that nothing's impossible with God, that don't underestimate Jesus. And what he can do with just a little, that we need to obey Jesus, we need to take him at his word, even though we don't always understand why he has said what he said and why he asks us to do what he asks us to do. And maybe we need to realize that, that there are so many hungry people out there, sheep without a shepherd, people who are lost and at risk, and if they will just come to Jesus, they can be fed. Or maybe for some, it's the simple instruction, you give them something to eat that needs a practical response from each of us tonight. And so may God help us to not only hear his life-giving word, but to do it as well. Alice.